Okay, good morning everyone. Uh, can you hear me clearly? Okay, that's great. Uh, it's great that you all could come here, especially just before it started raining. And uh, we really pray that God may bless our time here to help us understand His Word better so that we may be ready for what He has in store for the world. So let's go to God in prayer. Dear loving and heavenly Father, as we come before you today, we pray that uh, you will give us hearts and minds which are open to your instruction, uh, that we may struggle with this passage that you've written to us, but uh, that we may be able to understand through your Holy Spirit and take comfort and also be ready uh, for what the future holds. For you are God who controls and sustains all things and you have a plan for the world. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, uh, somebody from our congregation uh, sent me a, 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 a website link uh, not too long ago. And uh, it was a, a newspaper article from the Sydney Morning Herald, but originally from the Guardian newspaper in England. And uh, as you know, uh, the Guardian newspaper is quite a respected paper. And uh, the article was up here, and it dealt with uh, all the bad news that we've been getting uh, over the course of this year. So, uh, it, it, I, I tried to highlight it for you, but I don't know whether that actually helps. It's a bit small, right? But uh, basically, it says that uh, you should sit closer to the front. But no, no, this doesn't say that. It says that revolutions, earthquakes, financial meltdowns, political scandals, famines and killings, the shattering headlines just keep coming this year. How can we find time to make sense of the information overload? Uh, Asks Zoe Williams. Uh, and that was quite an interesting uh, article because it basically was saying that, you know, why do we have so much famine and disaster, suffering and evil and wickedness uh, in the news? And are they all linked together? What does it all mean? And... Uh, it's really interesting because when you try to make sense of the article, I was trying to read the article, it's a really long article, when you finally got to the bottom of the article, you thought, okay, what is the, the great wisdom, uh, the great insight that we have to understand all these tragedies and all this uh, natural uh, uh, you know, suffering that's happening in the world? And uh, in the last uh, paragraph, which is the next slide, this is the conclusion after you read the whole article, right? It said that sooner or later, the idea of a news agenda developed, and if there was no news there would just be some news. But you can imagine today just waking up to hear that there was no news, what a comfort that would be. And I was sort of thinking, wow, that's really weird, right? Because what he's actually saying is, uh, the, I, you know, the, the answer to, to all this problem in the world, right, the answer or the insight or making sense of all this tragedy in the world is, if you want to get away from it, just don't read the newspaper. Because that's what it's basically saying, right? It's saying, you know, it would be good if we had no news. Um, and I was thinking, isn't that really weird? Because the world doesn't really have an answer uh, to making sense of all the tragedy of what's happening in the world around us. And I think that uh, if we come to the Bible, we realize how privileged we are because when we come to the Bible, especially in the book of Revelation, it actually gives us uh, a way of understanding of making sense of what we read in the news and what's happening in the world around us. Now, in chapter 4 uh, of the book of Revelation, we, we read that God is the one who created and sustains this world. So if anyone would be able to help us understand what we read in the newspaper, the tragedies of this world, then God would be the one who would be able to give us an answer. But unfortunately, uh, the Guardian newspaper uh, didn't turn to God. And in fact, uh, later on I'll show you some excerpts from the article as well. Uh, they actually say that we, we, we should never turn to God to find an answer for what's happening to these things in this world. But, as we saw in chapter 4 and then chapter 5, 
God has a plan for what's happening in this world. He is in control of this world. And the plan was uh, explained in symbolic and figuratively, figurative language as written in the scroll with seven seals. And we remember we read that Jesus was the only one worthy to open the scroll and cut the slit the seals and, and unleash God's plan in the world. And uh, as we read on the next slide, I think, is it the next slide? Yeah, we, we read uh, over the last uh, few chapters that uh, as Jesus slid the seals of this double-sided scroll, uh, judgment came into the world. So in the first seal, there was, a, there was conquest or war. In the second seal, there was violence or civil unrest or uh, the, the lack of peace in this world. Uh, this, the third seal, well, there was famine. And uh, the fourth seal, there was death uh, and, uh, and uh, all sorts of manner of death. But in the fifth seal, there was a, a situation where Christians would actually suffer worse than non-Christians because the fifth seal said that there will continue to be death and persecution for Christians. And then the sixth seal, the day of the wrath of the Lamb, arrives. So today, as we come to chapter 8, this is where we are in the book of Revelation, we are really waiting in expectation for the seventh seal because we know that there are seven seals and Jesus has slit the sixth. So we're looking forward to this great last seal and we think okay, this is going to be the big climax, right? But then look at what it says there in chapter 8, verse 1. It says, When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now, I don't know about you, but when you read this one verse, it's a real anticlimax. Because it's shorter than all the other verses of the other seals. And it's just pure silence. And imagine that. It's like, imagine you've read all the Harry Potter books. And then you buy the last Harry Potter, Potter book, you know, you go to Borders or Kinokuniya, it's all string wrapped. And then you buy, you, you know, you spend all your money, you go home and you want to read it and you open it up and all of this is blank pages, right? Or you've watched all the, the Harry Potter series in the cinemas and then you go queue up for the, the final movie at uh, Shaw Center or whatever and you go in there, all it has is, is, you know, two and a half hours of just blank screen and silence, right? It's, it's a real anticlimax, you know, you want your money back. So what does this silence mean? Why does the seventh seal just have half an hour of silence? Now, I don't know about you, but I'm the sort of person who likes to have very definitive answers, right? Okay, so you know, the harder you work, the more sure you are of the answer. And this is it, and there's no other options. But I think uh, as you come to the book of Revelation, especially as we come to the harder sections, that there is an element where this part of the Bible, we can, be, we can say this is what the Bible says, but and there may be a range of meanings, but there's some which definitely are not right. But sometimes it's very hard to pin it down, isn't it? So uh, this is what my warning is to you, because some of the things that I'm saying to you, I will say that I'm not really sure, but this makes the most sense to me. Right? And it troubles me, maybe as a Singaporean, I, li- I like to have clear black and white answers, because on Tuesday night, I had a nightmare for, about the book of Revelation. But, uh, but I think the silence, uh, actually, from reading the different commentaries and, and thinking about it, actually represents the judgment of God actually coming into play. And you sort of think, well, how can the judgment of God be so silent, right? But if you look at the rest of the Bible, uh, the references are up here. We have many references today, so you, I'll flash it up. You can take note of it and go home and examine it. In Zephaniah chapter 1, it says, Be silent before the sovereign Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. And Zephaniah goes on to talk about God's judgment. Right? In Zechariah chapter 2, verse 13, it says, Be still before the Lord all mankind. 
for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. And in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20, it says, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Now to me, that sort of makes the most sense of what's happening here because the silence represents awe of God's judgment. Or, or heaven is like, you know, in, in silent, reverent fear of what God is doing in his judgment. Now, the other way of understanding it, so this is the, the next slide. So this is one of the most uh, common ways that I think we can understand the silence is silence before God's judgment. Uh, the next slide. But some other people feel that the silence here can be actually the silence that is filled up by the seven trumpets. Okay? Or some other people feel that the silence here is a short break before the next set of judgments, the next cycle of judgments. Now, uh, I, I don't think that's uh, the right way of reading it because uh, if you read it that way, that means that uh, there is silence and then there's another seven. It tends to read it in a very literal, chronological way. Or if you say that the seventh seal is made up of the seven trumpets, again, you're sort of reading it in a very chronological way. But like I said before, uh, what we are given here in the book of Revelation is a series of visions, right? Not a series of videos. Okay, visions don't necessarily have to correspond to, a, 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 you know, the same timeline in history. I think that they're all sort of intertwined and matched together. The reason why I don't think the last two options make sense, where uh, the, the silence is filled up by the seven trumpets, or the silence is a short break before the next series of uh, judgments, is because when you look at uh, the trumpets and the, um, uh, the seals, some of them actually uh, have a, a bit of a uh, parallel between them. That means they overlap to one another. So it seems as if rather than one series followed by another series, followed by another series in history, it's more like they are sort of like overlapping one another. So I'll show you what I mean. If you look up here on the slide, you see in chapter 6, verse 12, uh, there was the sixth seal. Remember, Jesus slid the sixth seal? So I watched as Jesus, he opened the sixth seal. And there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair and the whole moon turned red. Now in chapter 8 verse 12, the fourth angel sounded his trumpet. That means the fourth trumpet, right? Okay. And a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of them turned black. Now, if you think of it as a sequential thing, that means, you know, seven seals, then the silence, followed by seven trumpets, or the seven trumpets fill up the silence. It doesn't quite make sense because it says here that at the, already at the sixth seal, the sun and the moon are already completely black. You follow where I'm going? But then, in the fourth trumpet, a third of them, the sun turns black. Okay, now that doesn't make sense uh, logically to me. If you think of it as, you know, you have the sixth seal followed by the fourth trumpet sometime later on. Because the next slide, right, if you think of it this way, how, how can it be, right? Because here on the sixth seal, the whole sun and moon are black already, but then on the fourth trumpet, only one third of it is black. So to me, it's not a, a, a chronological thing in history, but they are sort of like overlap one over another. So I think. The way to understand how the seals and the trumpets work together is like one uh, commentator said, it's like watching an action replay on television. 
Now, for those, of, for those of you who follow sport, you'll be very familiar with this because you just watch ESPN. And ESPN, they're forever showing replays of very uh, significant sporting moments. You know, someone shooting a basket or, 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 or someone scoring a goal. So, you know, if you ever watch soccer, right, especially those big matches, you know, whenever someone scores a spectacular goal, for the next five minutes, you'll see the goal from different angles, right, behind the, the, behind the goal camera. You know, where the ball comes in and knocks the camera off. Or the side view camera where you see the person, you know, running whether the person's offside or not. Or then you see that, you know, the top view where you see all the little people like ants moving around, right? And then you have, this, the, the, then you have the, the close-up view where you see the ball and there's only these two players jostling for the ball. And I think that that's what's happening here in uh, the book of Revelation. So where you have the seals, where you have the trumpets, and they're looking at the same event, but they're looking at it from different angles. Okay, so a cycle, what's happening here is not a new thing that's happening, but it's a revelation of the same event. So, it then moves on to uh, verse 2, where it says, And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Uh, Verse 3, Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar, he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints. On the, on the golden altar before the throne, the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, hurled it on the earth, and there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and earthquake. So here, okay, you think of it. The, the, the seventh seal is done. And it says there in verse 2 that God gives seven angels seven trumpets. But then in verse 3 to 5, there's, a, there's an interlude or an or, or, or expansion. But before the trumpets are blown or anything happens, uh, there is another angel who comes uh, with a golden censer and he stands at the altar and uh, he takes incense and puts it onto the uh, this uh, like a fire pan, okay, not a frying pan, but a fire pan, something like a frying pan, which looks a bit more classy, lah, okay, and uh, and then these in this incense is actually like the prayers, it actually represents the prayers, and these prayers go up to God, and then God hears these prayers as He smells incense, and then the the, the angel puts uh, this fire into the incense, uh, this, the fire holder, and then throws it onto the earth. And then there's rumbling, lightning and everything. Now, how do we understand what's happening? Okay, next slide. Now, this is a, a sensor, if you can see, right? You see how there's this like looking spade, looking fire pan, looking thing. Okay, and there's, they use it to put incense, because obviously you can't carry incense in your hand because it's very hot. Right, then after, this, after the prayers go up to God, he then puts a fire brand, like hot charcoal or whatever, into the incense pan, and he throws it on the earth. Now, what are these prayers that go up to God that cause this angel to throw fire onto the earth? Well, it says there that it comes from the altar. Okay, it comes from the altar. Now, in chapter 6, verse 9, next slide, Remember we said that from the altar, the Christian martyrs who had died were praying to God, God, bring us justice, right? give us justice. 
So here what is happening is, he says that, if you look, you must look very carefully at the Bible again, right? It says that in verse 3, the prayers of all the saints. So, in chapter 6, it was prayers of those, the dead Christians, but here is the prayers of all Christians. So, as you and I pray to God for justice, God hears it, and then He gets the angel to throw uh, this hot fire coals down onto the earth. Now, what does this fire coals and thunder rumbling mean? Well, it, I think it obviously shows that God is not very happy, right? Because, imagine if I get my frying pan and I fill it with hot coal and I throw at you, it's obviously not a love offering to you. Lah. Okay, I'm obviously not happy with you for something. And that's exactly what the whole thing means. God, in response to the prayers of Christians, brings judgment onto the earth. And that's what thunder and rumblings and all those things mean as well. Whenever you read Revelation of thunder, rumblings, lightning, it's always about God's judgment. And I think that what it's actually saying here is the whole drama of judgment comes about because Christians pray for God's justice. And I think this is a really important application for us because, you know, when we pray, what do we pray for? Uh, don't worry about what other people pray for. I mean, people might pray for BMWs and, uh, you know, being rich and Rolex watches. But here, God is actually listening to the prayers from the altar of people who call on judgment for injustice in the world, for God's will to be done when Christians are persecuted or martyred, or when you see injustice in the world. So last week, I remember reading in the Straits Times about how there was some massive uh, pedophile syndicate that was uh, broken up by the police. And I was thinking, you know, God should really judge those people who are caught from all around the world who are abusing children for their own sexual, sexual uh, you know, pleasures. So do we ever pray for that sort of thing? When you pray, do you pray for God's justice to be done? Or do you pray for God to avenge uh, those people who are being persecuted just because they are Christians? Because in response to those prayers, God acts, right? And we see that because in verse 6 uh, onwards, uh, the trumpets start getting blown. Okay, Now, uh, what does it mean when it, when, it, when it uses the imagery of the trumpet? Okay? Now, I never thought of this before because you know, we all think, okay, Jesus cuts the seals, but why a trumpet? Okay? So, uh, let me just do this for a second. Uh, the, the question you have to ask yourself is, why does, uh, why does he use the imagery of a trumpet? And I think that there is actually a meaning behind it. You see, in the Old Testament, the trumpet is always used. You see, it wakes you up, right? I, call, I use a trumpet. He doesn't use a guitar, right? Okay. God uses a trumpet to call out to humanity uh, that judgment is coming. Right? In, in the Old Testament, in uh, Isaiah chapter 58, verse 1, Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 3 to 4, it's always the trumpet is a summons to people to repentance. Like every time you sound the trumpet, it's calling people to repentance. And also, we always remember in the destruction of the city of Jericho that the trumpets is always a call of an of a army to victory as well. And that's why I think the trumpet is actually linked to what is happening here because the trumpets are calling out to people that God is bringing victory or judgment onto the world. But it's also a call for those who have ears to listen that it's a call to repentance to God. Now here, uh, we're going to look at the four trumpets and I, I mean, we don't really have to look at them in detail. But I want you to uh, look at it just uh, 
we're going to look at three points, okay, for uh, for the trumpets. Now, each of them represent one thing, and I think visually is very important. Remember, we we said Revelation is more of a picture book rather than a, a narrative, right? So, the first one is about how this hail and fire come and bring uh, destruction to a third of the earth, and, and all the green grass is burned up. And then the, the second trumpet is where the sea turns blood red and then all the, the shipping is, is affected. Then the third trumpet is where all the rivers uh, turn bitter. And then the fourth trumpet is where uh, there's darkness across a third of the world and, and it loses light. Now, I think that uh, what it's actually doing is, is complementing the picture of the seals. Because in the seals, it is looking at God's judgment of the world by wicked and sinful people. Right, do you remember the, the seals are all about conquest, war, famine, death? But they all come about because of man's sinfulness and wickedness. Okay, so the next slide. Right, so uh, you, you talk about uh, war or lack of, lack of peace or violence or civil unrest in the world. Right? These are all, and famine, these are all things that come about because man brings about destruction on the earth. But in the, in the trumpets, which is the next slide, Right, it's all about natural disasters. It's all about uh, how all four areas of the natural world get attacked. The, the earth, the first trumpet, the sea, the second trumpet, the inland rivers, which is the third trumpet, and the sky, which is the fourth trumpet. Right, and, and all of these four things coming together actually shows that God is already starting to bring judgment on the world. And I think that even uh, people uh, uh, who are not Christians can see that, right? So, the next slide. So, again, um, uh, this very helpful article from The Guardian. It says, but, uh, but to return to the urge to connect, the urge to understand, even for non-conspiracy theorists, that is a legitimate aim. When a huge events tumble up one on another, it is human to look for a link. So, here, uh, this uh, Guardian reporter makes a good point. He says that when all these bad things happen, regardless of whether it's natural or whether it's uh, because of people's own wickedness, then people are start asking questions, what is the link between these, these, all these things? And I think the trumpets and the seal are saying that both of these are linked in terms of showing that God's judgment has started in this world. And Jesus actually draws the same uh, uh, principle in Luke chapter 13, which is up here, right? Now Jesus was asked um, about two natural disasters, or two, sorry, two disasters that happened during his time. The first one was where uh, Pontius Pilate, which was a king at the time, he killed some people as they went to worship in the temple, and another one where a tower uh, fell down. Right? Maybe strong wind, engineering disaster, earthquake. Who knows? Right? And Jesus answered in verse two, uh, "Do you think?" that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower of Siloam fell on them, uh, could be earthquake, war, you know, wind, whatever, do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. So, what Jesus is saying here is exactly what the seals and the trumpets are doing, right? One is, an, it's a, is death and suffering because of man's wickedness. Pontius Pilate kills people without reason. And he says, this is a warning to you, you need to repent. The second one is a natural disaster, right? You know, tower falling down, I mean, 
We don't read that some terrorists put some explosives at the bottom. It just fell down, right? And Jesus said the same lesson can be learned here. Unless you too repent, you know, you will also perish in the same way. So both of these things, the seals and the, and the trumpets, are actually shouting out to people, you need to repent because judgment is near. Now, the second thing we, we should note also about the trumpets is, the trumpets, uh, for those of us who read the Bible, are very similar to the plagues when God uh, saved Israel out of Egypt. Uh, okay, now, in the Old Testament, for those of you who are not familiar, God's people were enslaved in Egypt and God freed them by a series of some ten supernatural plagues. And here, a next slide, the, um, when you look at the, the trumpets and the plagues, they're very similar, but they're not exactly the same. right? Okay? So, the first seal is very similar to the seventh plague, in that you have hail. But it's also very different because there's no fire, right? Okay. The second seal, uh, sorry, not the second seal, the second trumpet is very similar in that the rivers turn to blood, but here the, the oceans turn to blood. The third seal, the rivers, uh, being bitter, actually there's no parallel in the plagues. The fourth trumpet uh, is very similar to the ninth plague where uh, God in, uh, in Egypt turned the sky dark as well, took away the sun. Now, why is there importance to note the similarities between God judging Egypt and God judging the world? I think it's because it's, it's actually showing that what God did in Egypt in a small way is now being played out on a worldwide scale in the whole world. And why did God uh, send all these plagues against Egypt and Pharaoh? Why? Because Egypt and Pharaoh were were persecuting God's people and their hearts were hardened against Him, right? Okay, so those two things are very important. Egypt was persecuting God's people and their hearts were hardened against God. And I think that's what he's saying about the world as well, isn't it? The world uh, is persecuting Christians and then these Christians pray out to God and God responds to judgment. But also the world is hardened against God and therefore He brings these judgments against the world. Can you see the similarity here? You, you understand where I'm going? If you're confused, please ask me after the sermon, right? Okay? But these things are, are, are very important because this is what the meaning of what's happening and what we see in the world and what we're reading in Revelation is about. Okay? Now, the third thing I want to note about uh, the, uh, the trumpets. So, the first one is that the seals and trumpets come together as signs of judgment calling people. Okay? The second thing is that these judgments come about because the world is hardened against God and is persecuting Christians. But I think the third seal, the, sorry, not third seal, the third thing I want to point out is that when you compare the seals and the trumpets, the trumpets actually show that the judgment is getting worse. It's getting worse. So if you look up here, uh, slide, on the fourth seal, it says that only one quarter of the world is affected by the seals and death. Can you notice that? Okay. Uh, the fourth seal sort of summarizes the first three seals and it says that, you know, uh, they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, plague, or by the wild beasts of the earth. But then when you come to the trumpets, which is the next slide, uh, just in case you can't notice, what is the word that is often repeated? Third, right? Okay? The word third here keeps being repeated, third, 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 everywhere, okay? And why is it a third? 
I don't think it's an accident that it's a third. It's trying to show that in the first vision, he sees one quarter of the earth affected. When he sees the second vision, a third of the earth is affected. There is an intensification. There is a greater intensity of the destruction uh, when, when, uh, when, when John sees this vision. And one third is uh, pretty bad. You think of it, one third of all people dying, one third of people being affected. But it's still not total devastation, right? It's just massive destruction. And again, I think why I'm trying to keep going back to this is we are supposed to see the seals and the trumpets together, the holding flows together, right? Is that as there's more and more intensification, the, the warning is louder and louder and louder. So, uh, last week again, I was reading a newspaper. See all my illustrations from the newspaper, right? And uh, there was an Air France plane which crashed into uh, the sea of Brazil. Okay, I hope no one's listening to this when they're flying. Uh, maybe they taped the MP3, okay? But anyway, the Air France plane crashed into the, play, uh, off, uh, off into the ocean in Brazil. And, they were, and last week, they, they found the black box and they recreated the five minutes before the plane crashed into the ocean. And apparently, uh, the, the co-pilot was flying it. And uh, he, 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 you know, there were two co-pilots and the, pilot, the main pilot was sleeping. And uh, he, they, they couldn't respond well to the warning. So apparently in the beginning, uh, I, I'm not a pilot, so I'm just going by the newspaper, the, the plane would just say, stall, stall, stall. Right? It means the plane is not going fast enough. And then, you know, you have to make some corrective thing. But then after a while, when they're not responding to that, Apparently, the stall warning goes on for 54 seconds. So, you imagine like 54 seconds of stall, 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 right? And then, as they get closer and closer to the ocean, the whole cockpit starts lighting up with flashing red lights, okay? Lights everywhere. And as they get even closer, apparently, a cricket noise starts crickling. Cricket, cricket, I don't know how that works, right? And after a while, even alarm bells start ringing, bing! But then, they still didn't respond to all these warnings. They couldn't correct the plane. The plane crashed. I think that's what we're seeing here. See, the seals and the trumpets, it's like, as the, the judgments become more and more intensive, it's like these flashing lights, cricket noises, bells ringing, stall, you know, noises coming out. It's shouting out to the world that, look, judgment is getting closer and closer. So, uh, that comes to the end of the fourth, war, uh, fourth uh, trumpet. But interestingly, bef- between the fifth, uh, sorry, the fourth and the fifth trumpet, Mm, there is this eagle that comes out in verse 13, right? And the eagle says, uh, in verse 13, As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in mid-air call out in a loud voice, Woe, 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 okay, to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels. Now here, uh, the word for eagle is just uh, means a large bird. So some other uh, translations actually translate it as voucher. Okay, so voucher can be a very uh, negative image. Lah. But the woes here show that actually it's very scary. If things are not scary enough, things are going to get even more scary. Much more scary. Uh, because of the three other trumpets to sound. Okay, now, why does he use woe, woe, woe? Okay, uh, okay, it's not some disco song or something, okay? But woe is, things are really, really bad that's going to happen. And again, in the, in the Bible, the word woe here is always used as a, as a warning of judgment or a warning of re, to repent. 
So Jesus, uh, in Matthew chapter 23, which is up here, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he, 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 you know, before he dies, near his death, he tells the Pharisees and the religious leaders, look, woe to you, because you haven't done this. Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, right? And they're all like symbols of judgment, but they're also symbols of a call, a last call to repentance. And that is what's happening here, right? Because the, like the, the, the voucher, the eagle shouting out woe to the world, and it's like, this is the last chance to repent because the final judgment is coming upon you. And uh, we are given two more trumpets. Now, uh, I would like to confess to you that unfortunately I can't, you can read the, the, the narrative yourself, I can't shed more light than what is already here. You can speculate a lot about what the locusts are and what the fire is and what they're going to look like. But really, most commentators also are not very sure what it will look like in the future. Because right? I don't think these are present day things, but I think this happens in the future. And how much of it is literal and how much of it is figurative, uh, at the end of the day, we're not sure. But we just know that it's going to be really bad. Because when the fifth trumpet sounds, there is a fallen star from heaven. And this is not a good person. It's probably a satanic messenger angel. Because this person, the fallen star, has a key. Okay, it's not a meteorite, because meteorites do not carry keys. Okay? And this uh, angel comes and he opens the abyss. Now, the abyss is not hell. Abyss is not hell. The abyss is a place of demonic power. A place where there's evil. That's what the abyss is, not hell. Okay? And he releases, the, the, releases a, a, a plague of locusts. Okay? But these locusts, instead of eating grass, their sole aim in life is to torment people, particularly non-Christians. And that's what it says there in verse 4. They were told not to harm the grass or the earth or any plant or tree, but only those who did not have the seal of God in their foreheads. Now, uh, I don't know uh, if that really brings terror terror to you, because obviously uh, all I see in my whole life are small little uh, uh, grasshoppers, which I used to catch when I was a child to put into my little box, right? So, you think, well, how, how scary can they be, right? These little green grasshoppers. But I think in the Middle East, uh, they were very terrified of locusts because um, this is a picture which I got off National Geographic. All these black things are locusts. Okay, and this is a little boy. So, you just imagine all these large grasshoppers which are just never-ending over you. But here, uh, these grasshoppers or locusts, they, they've come just to eat. Uh, grass and, and, and according to uh, people that I know they are so ferocious in their appetite they even eat the paint right on the walls that's how hungry they can be well imagine these grasshoppers and their aim in life is not to eat uh, grass but to come and torment people you can understand then why it says there that um, during those days in verse 6 men will seek death but not find it they will long to die but death will elude them and what it's actually saying here is that this trumpet shows that the, the judgment or the torment of this world or non, uh, the non-believer is so great that they want to die. Now, in the rational world, in the world that we live in, people who want to die, want to choose death over life, we usually send them to uh, see a psychiatrist, right? Because it's not normal. It's not normal to want to choose death over life. But here, it's saying that in the future days, God's judgment on this world will be so unbearable that it will be normal to choose death over life, but they will not find death. 
Now, if you thought this fifth angel was bad, uh, the sixth is worse, right? Because the fifth angel doesn't kill anybody. The fifth angel just torments people. But the fifth trump, sixth trumpet, uh, this is where things really get bad. And it says there um, in verse 14, right? Oh, sorry, I'll read from verse 13. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates, and the four angels who have been kept ready for this very hour and day and month, and year will release to kill a third of mankind. Now, a bit of uh, again, that's why uh, we always say you should never read the Revel- book of Revelation as the first book you ever read as a Christian. You need to read the rest of it. The river Euphrates um, actually has a lot of Old Testament and other uh, Old Testament. Uh, Israeli background. So this is uh, the riv- river Euphrates. Okay, uh, You can see where I am. This is Israel. The river Euphrates. You see that? Okay? You're awake, right? Okay, now you notice all of Israel's enemies always come from the north of the river Euphrates. Uh, the Babylonians who uh, attacked Around, uh, uh, um, you know, what was it, 70, 80 BC, I don't know, 700, whatever, I can't remember, I've got to work out dates again. But Assyria as well, right? And Babylon. So, in terms of uh, the context of God's people in Israel, remember last week we saw about, uh, you know, Israel and everything. So, it often uses imagery which relates back to Israel to, to show a picture. So, what it's actually saying is, when God says that He's holding back the enemies from the Euphrates, it means all the unknown, powerful enemies that come from the north, God is holding them back. But in the future, He will open it up and all these unknown, powerful enemies from the north will come and attack uh, and uh, destroy many, many people. Now, uh, what is very confusing and I think disturbing for us is uh, the picture of these enemies, you know, the horses and the riders and they have uh, smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouth, and they, they look like snakes and blah, 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 right? So you sort of think, what is this, you know? Is this like a creature out of the movie Alien or Predator or something like that? What is this going to look like in the future? Well, we're not really sure whether it's a literal thing, but I like what the commentator said that ultimately what uh, the vision is painting is a picture of awesome hideousness and cruelty, right? Uh, that in the future, when God brings death uh, to these people, it, it is with an army of great cruelty and hideousness. Uh, so we don't know whether they're really real animals, but it's a very fearsome picture that they paint. Okay? So, based on uh, the ecology, based on the suffering of the locusts, and then now these great fearsome army, how will the world respond? Well, look at what it says there in verse 20 to 21, because this is the key to understanding what's happening here. I'm oh, sorry. Verse 20, the rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshipping demons or idols of gold, uh, silver, bronze, stone, wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual morality or their theft. And I think that it's a really sad thing because what it's actually saying is, even though these trumpet blasts are going to the world, people will still not give up their idolatry and the sinful life which is tied together with uh, 
the idolatrous way that they live. And I think that again, if we turn it back and look at the Old Testament again, remember God sent ten plagues on Egypt and Pharaoh, but Pharaoh still kept hardening his heart over and over and over again. And the picture is the same here, that these people, even with the intensification getting worse and worse and worse, they still will not turn to God. And uh, again, uh, our resident artist painted this picture for us, which is very helpful. So here you can see right, a picture of all the destruction on the sea, on the land burning up, and uh, all the people dying. But here the people are still worshipping worshipping uh, the idols and still not turning back to God. And we can see that in the world today. That even as things get worse and worse and worse, even if people know that there is judgment, they will not turn back to God. Okay, so I just dropped this book, but I can use it. Okay, so I, I bought this book uh, a few years ago at a Christian conference. It's called uh, Porn Nation. Okay, it's not a pornographic book, right? It's from a Christian bookshop. But it's about this guy who uh, went ra- goes around to all the college campuses in America and everything talks about pornography. And he was sharing in this book about how he is actually good friends with one of the very famous porn stars in America. And this guy was saying that he has trouble sleeping every night. And uh, this guy, I mean, the, the, the porn star was saying he has trouble sleeping every night, not the other guy. <laughs> okay. and, uh, and the other guy, the Christian guy who goes around trying to share Christ with, uh, in college campuses, is saying, well, why can't you sleep at night? Why do you have all this great sense of unease? And he said, because he's really worried that he won't wake up in the morning and that he will face God's judgment. And uh, then this Christian guy says, well, why don't you become a Christian? He says, well, because I, I can't give up the lifestyle. Right? He enjoys all the sexual morality and the money and the fame and everything else. And it's really stupid, right? Because here's a man who knows that judgment is coming. He's convinced so much in his heart that judgment is coming. that He can't sleep at night, but he still won't give up his lifestyle. He still won't give up the money or the sexual morality. And it's not just this guy. It's, I think, the whole world, isn't it? Because it says here in this passage that the rest of mankind will not give it up. And I think, by and large, many, many people will not give up the idolatry or the sinful lifestyle, even though they see judgment coming. So again, I love this article that was sent to me because it seems to fit into the sermon so well, right? Uh, it's almost as if uh, this person wrote it. I couldn't, he couldn't write it better or she couldn't write it better if I asked them to, right? So anyway, this person said uh, near the end of the article, nobody looking to understand all of that need find themselves resorting to God. Right? So this person actually saying, look, at the end of the article, I don't have any answers, but whatever it is, even if I don't have any answers, there's no point asking God what the answer is. But, but that's exactly what the opposite God says. Isn't it? God says, I have the answer. And the answer is shouting at you with a trumpet blast. You need to repent and turn back to me. But then here, this author and the, the writer and the Guardian newspaper says, No, no, no. The last thing we need to do is to resort to turning back to God. But, you know... That's exactly what it says there in verse 20-21. People are not repenting even though they hear of God's judgment coming. So I think that the application for us, first and foremost, is do we see what God is doing in the world? Do we see the big perspective? Because when we live in this world, like uh, this author is, uh, next slide, we're so close to the trees, we only see the bark, right? But when we see the whole world from God's perspective, from a heavenly perspective, we see what God is doing when we see all this judgment and destruction in this world. 
So for those of us who do not know Christ, then the, the, great, the great challenge for us is, will we be like those who do not respond to all these things and instead continue to follow our own way, our idolatry or our sinful living? Now, it's really silly because ultimately, if you know what's going to happen in the very end, then you need to take steps now. It's like when we were at our family day. Remember when we were at our family day where we could see the storm coming, you know? You could see the, the lake, uh, not the lake, the reservoir was getting more and more windy, it was getting darker, you could see the dark clouds coming. Well, what's the clever thing to do? Get your umbrella or go to your car, right? What's the silly thing to do? Go further away and pretend nothing's going to happen. But that's exactly what the world does. The world sees judgment coming, but it doesn't grab the umbrella. And there's no point you know, complaining that God said, oh, you know, this is just fire and brimstone sermon, right? Because fire and brimstone is exactly what's going to happen. Right? There's no point arguing with God when disaster is coming. Now, also, I think for us as Christians, uh, we also have to ask ourselves, in our own lives, uh, do we have idolatry? Because idolatry is not just uh, you know, idols made of silver uh, and, and gold and bronze, but also idolatry can be the natural things of this world. Pleasure, uh, career, money, all those sort of things. Are we willing to repent of the sinful sins that we see here in verse 21? So it says that murders. And don't see any murderers here. But then Jesus says that if you have hatred and malice in your heart, you're already a murderer. Uh, magic arts. Now, some people say, well, you know, I don't do magic arts, right? I mean... Uh, I'm not like uh, Harry Potter or something. But actually, the word here for magic arts, the, the Greek word, refers to magical charms to achieve some end. Uh, it can be translated as sorcery. So anything uh, that is used to try to get, gain control of supernatural forces or events controlled by those forces is what magic arts is about. Now, thinking as Christians, you know, sometimes are we superstitious? Uh, like do you, you know, do you believe that oh, if I use a different color, I can change the, 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 the you know, by some magic way, the what's going to happen, or maybe if I do something, I will be able to achieve something. Or like someone said in the Bible study, is feng shui magic arts? You know, it's trying to change something, because it says here, I mean, from the word magic arts, it's not we, we know it's not someone we don't think of a witch with a wand, right? But magic arts is anything where we're trying to change and control. Um, circumstances by forces. So you can, you can work it out yourselves what it is in, in the real world, but that's what it's talking about. Sexual immorality is very clear, like uh, pornography or lust, and thefts. Now, thefts doesn't have to be uh, going to a shop and shoplifting. It can also be uh, buying pirated goods or you know, downloading songs or movies or not paying your taxes or cheating on your parking coupon. Um, all those things are all thefts as well, isn't it? But if we see that judgment is coming, then those things are, are not the things that we should be doing. Because all the judgments around us are telling us that these are silly things to do with judgment coming around the corner. So in conclusion, uh, one pastor was talking about this book, uh, the next slide, called The Plague by Albert Camus. Now, I haven't read it myself, but uh, apparently uh, it's, a, it's a book written by this writer. Camus is a very uh, secular, existential, non-Christian person. He says, he's talking about this plague uh, which happens in a, in a city and talks about that, the, the absurdity of it, how people just die and how people try to ignore the plague by doing things to ignore, you know, which uh, shut it all out. But, you see, we don't see suffering in that way. We don't see suffering as absurd. But we see suffering as actually being part of the plan of God to warn the world. 
And it's true, you know, you think of the last century, uh, we've had two world wars, we've had Stalin, we've had the Holocaust, we've had Cultural Revolution, we've got Bosnia, we've got Afghanistan. You know, you look apparently in Nigeria and parts of Africa and Sudan, many millions of people are at risk from dying from starvation. Right? But it's not absurdity, it's not chaos. It's actually God telling the world that this world is passing away, judgment is coming. And there is a better and bigger world that's coming. And that we need to repent of all the idolatrous thinking that we have and our sinful practices and to turn back to God. And as we saw in the earlier weeks, and again, trust only in Jesus. So I hope that uh, as we look at this passage, it gives us a better picture of what's happening in the world and how to respond to it. Uh, don't get stuck up looking for locusts with uh, stuff on their head and red things, right? But, but ask yourself, what is God really trying to tell us uh, through, these, uh, through these seven trumpets? Okay? So let's uh, go to God in prayer. Dear fathers, we come before you today. Uh, help us to see that uh, it's not just uh, worldwide wickedness, evil, violence uh, that uh, shouts out to us that your judgment is coming, but it's also the degradation of the environmental world, it is natural disaster, it is uh, all these trumpets which are sounding and will sound in this world. We pray for each and every one of us here that we will take heed of your trumpet blast and that we will turn back to you, we will repent of sinful living and trust only in Jesus. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.